You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servant the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. The word of the Lord. That reminds me of a a book. It was written in the early 60s. Cradles of Eminence is what it's called. And and it was a study of 400 people who've had impact in history, studying to see what did they have in common. And what those 400 people had in common that were incredible leaders, such as Abraham Lincoln being one of them, is they all had to overcome significant obstacles as children. And part of my prayer for Bodhi is not only that God will will give him many, many decades of life, but I'm praying that God will redeem and bring good, not only in Bodhi's life, but through Bodhi's life in his generation, that the strength that, that has been forged in him through what he has had to endure would be used to bless many, many people. That's my prayer for little Bodhi, and he's... He's a miraculous little kid, and we love him, and we love you, and uh, praise the Lord. I want to commend you, Rockland. You've, you've been very supportive to, to Bodie and to one another. I hear story after story of, of people so thankful for this church and the support that you show. You're compassionate, and you're genuine in that, and, and I commend you. In fact, we have a friend here uh, from Canada, Melissa, and she was here last Sunday, is, is here today with, with Colleen, my wife. And she told us when we left last Sunday, we were in the car, and she said, that is such a friendly church. She said, I was even in the women's room, and women were, were welcoming me to church. And so I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's kind of weird. <laughs> you know, we need to have some level of, uh, of boundaries around here. So be friendly in the bathroom, but not too friendly. No. <laughs> It's a no-hug zone. That's, that's a rule I have right there. It's, uh, that's for sure. And then last Sunday, uh, you remember, we started in Daniel chapter 1 about the trauma that Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had on the, the, the sacking, the, the destruction of Jerusalem and being taken 1,700 miles to Babylon as prisoners of war. And how in their story they overcame trauma, and we looked at that. And, and so between services, after the service, and it continued 
even today. I, I, just, I just heard so many of you sharing with me your, your experiences and, and what you've learned on that, and, and I'm humbled. Uh, last Sunday, a, a woman told me, and then uh, today, a, a woman between the services reiterated it, which is, you know, that uh, the, the pain isn't less for Christians, but in the midst of the pain, they have hope. And I thought that was so powerful. And then uh, Fred, uh, um, he's uh, uh, a trauma surgeon here in Rockland, told me last night, he said, be sure to emphasize to people going through trauma, don't give up. As a trauma doc, he said, it's so very, very important that he's seen in his practice that you just don't give up. You have perseverance. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I heard other stories of, of the importance of, of community together and the, the, what we've just been talking about, supporting one another in the midst of the, the, the trauma. Uh, last Sunday I had a couple, we prayed for them in the first service, and they're not here in the second service, but uh, Monty and, and Carrie Swan are going down to El Paso, Texas this week for the funeral service for their nine-year-old uh, daughter, uh, Melissa, who... Uh, was asleep, had a seizure, and passed away a week ago yesterday. And uh, so we're praying for them. I, I was talking with a man uh, between the services in the choir room, uh, Carl, and, and his 30-year-old son just, just passed away this year. And so we pray for each other. We support one another. And thank you so much for doing that. That in, in this world of isolation, anxiety, and depression, and anger, and all those kind of things, to have a group of people that love us and support us and genuinely care, it's priceless. And I commend you for that. Uh, the other day, uh, Peach, my granddaughter, and her little brother, Buck, and their cousin, Juju, our three grandchildren, uh, went swimming together, and they just had so much fun. Can you see it on their faces, their body language? They had a blast. That's Juju, boy. She wakes up, and she's the ever-ready bunny. She keeps Papa going, trust me. And I just love this picture, but part of it that I, that I love is, is when I see this picture, what it does to a Papa's heart, or Juju calls me Pop-Pop, uh, what it does for my heart to see my three grandchildren just totally loving and enjoying one another. It just fills me with great joy. And so I, I show you this picture not only to, to, to show off, those are my, my grandkids. They're, they have my blood in them, you know. No, no wonder they're so beautiful, huh? And their hair is so thick and so forth. Uh, but there's an analogy in here. There, there's a metaphor. I think when God looks down today and sees us loving on each other and caring for each other and bearing one another's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ, I think it fills God's heart with joy. I really do. And in Psalm 133.1, it, it says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. With boundaries in the bathrooms, okay? I just wanna make sure you got the message on that. So this morning, let's, let's continue our study in the life of Daniel in this series on how to be overcomer of life's traumas, how to heal from past trauma. Some of us are carrying things from decades ago, and God wants to heal. There's going to be scars, there's going to be memories, but God wants to heal that. And then some of us are going through trauma now, and, and how can we have strength to do that? And then odds are, 
There's probably going to be traumas in the future, so how do we prepare for that? And that's what we're looking at through the life of Daniel. I was on the board of Eden Reforestation Projects when it, it first started, and it now plants over a million trees a year. And uh, this year, the Eden Reforestation Project is no longer just a little startup. It's a, it's a major uh, nonprofit. And uh, in fact, they got $20 million this year from someone that you probably gave money to this last week. Prime Days, have you ever heard of a guy named Jeff Bezos? He just gave $20 million to, to Eden this year. But when I was in Madagascar, uh, I learned about mangrove forests. And mangroves are amazing. First of all, they, they are planted and they live in the tidal zones where the ocean comes in and comes out. That's where the mangroves uh, are, grow. And then because of that, they protect villages from the storm surge of typhoons. We call them hurricanes in the northern hemisphere. We call them typhoons in the southern hemisphere. And then they, they provide their root system and so forth, provides eddies and safe places for fish to spawn. It's, it's part of the life cycle for, for the fish in Madagascar. And then, uh, additionally, uh, mangrove forests sequester five to ten times more CO2, carbon dioxide, than regular trees because of the anaerobic nature of the mud that their root system encases. And, and if you go, I don't know what that means, just, just understand this, it's really good for the planet. And so mangroves are, are amazing. They're, they're similar to aspens. We're familiar with aspens here, where if you have one aspen, you're gonna get shoots of future aspens, and, and they're all connected in their root system. Mangroves are the same way. A mangrove forest uh, is more of a million shoots uh, with common roots rather than a million trees. It, that's, that's, that, and so that gives them a connectedness that during the typhoons, they're able to hold steady. And when they disappear, the mud washes out to the sea, which affects the, 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 the fishing and, and uh, the, the shellfish and so forth. And then also, then the storm surge comes and destroys villages. And the, the life cycle of the fish is interrupted, and, uh, and they don't sequester all of this uh, uh, CO2, taking it out being the lungs of our planet. And so it's very important to, to, to replant the mangroves, which Eden has been doing, millions and millions and millions of trees. I think there's an analogy in there for us, that when the typhoons, the hurricanes of life hit, we need connectedness. And I want to just cut to the chase this morning, what we need is we need to, to uh, make it through the, the typhoons, the traumas of life. We need a deep connection with God, and we need a healthy connection with one another. Deep connection with God, healthy connection with one another to be able to make it through the storms of life. That's what we see in Daniel chapter 2. Now, you can tell I'm talking fast, and that's because I have seven minutes now, to, uh, to do the message, the rest of the message, but I'll, I'll get it done. Matthew and I worked on cutting it, and so, you know, I, you're going to get lunch, okay? You, the cupcakes are out there, and I'm wasting time talking about food. Why am I doing that? Daniel chapter 2, it's 875 in the Bible underneath uh, your seat. 
And I just want to do an overview of this scripture. In verse 1, it says something interesting. The second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, so Daniel is 19 years old. And it says Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. In other words, God gave him this dream that we're going to see in just a minute. But it kept reoccurring, coming back to him, and it was troubling him. Somehow, instinctively, he knew this dream was really, really, really important, but he didn't know what it was. So in verse 2, the king summoned his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and uh, they were the, the intellectual class, the scholars of Babylon called Chaldeans, or wise men. In fact, uh, centuries later, when three wise men came from the east to worship Jesus, uh, as, as an infant, they were Chaldeans. They were the same guys in the tradition of these guys. So, he, so King Nebuchadnezzar goes to his wise man and he says, I want you to tell me what the dream was and what the interpretation is. And the scriptures tell us that they say, you know, we can't do that. Verse 9, if you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. This is his angry response. You're conspiring to lead me misleading and wicked things. Then verse 10, the astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. This is impossible. Human beings can't read minds. Verse 11, no one can reveal it to the king except the gods. Remember last week we talked about uh, the Babylonian culture was, was uh, um, polytheistic, many gods that they had, and they said except the gods, and they don't live among men. Verse 12, bad news. This made King Nebuchadnezzar so angry and furious he decided to execute, behead all of the wise men of Babylon. So he sends Arioch, his personal bodyguard, to behead all of the men. And uh, then in verse 14, 19-year-old Daniel spoke to Arioch with wisdom and tact. At this, Daniel then went to King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at the leadership, the proactive nature of this young man. He went to the king and he asked for time that he could interpret the dream for him. Verse 17 18, we'll come back to these verses in just a few moments. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. And God answers their prayer. Verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven, and how he praises God is interesting in light of what the vision is and the interpretation. So in verse 20, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons, he sets up kings, and he disposes them. Remember that, we'll come back to that. Then, verse 24, Daniel went to Arioch the next morning and said, take me to the king, he does. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, named after the, the Babylonian um, god Bel, and he said, are you able to interpret my dream? And Daniel says, no. He says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, verse 28. This humility of this young man and understanding that it was by God's grace that God revealed this to Daniel, not because of Daniel's greatness. Verse 30, as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, Daniel said, not because I have greater wisdom than other living people, not because I'm so smart, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation, that you may understand what went through your mind. So then he tells him what his dream was in verse 31. In your dream, O king, you saw a large statue 
and a dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And then while you were watching, verse 34, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. That's significant. And it struck the statue and it smashed it. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. That's very important. Verse 36, this was the dream. Now I'll interpret it to you, O king. You, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, are the king of kings. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze. So each one section of the statue was for uh, a successive empire that was going to take over the known world. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. Verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it uh, be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true. The interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, this, this egomaniac, uh, king of kings, uh, and you see that later in, in Daniel about how he thinks he's, he's uh, divine and God. It says he, he felt prostrate before Daniel, played him honor and said, verse 47, surely now, this is amazing, this pagan king said this. Surely your king is, I mean, your God is the God of gods. All the gods of Babylon, your God, Daniel, this 19-year-old young man, your God is superior to all the gods of, of Babylon. And then he says this, and the Lord of kings, the king of kings, saying even greater than me, this guy who thought he was, he was everything, and a revealer mysteries that you were able to reveal this mystery, then the God placed Daniel in a high position, lavished many gifts on him. And so what we see here right now is, is God speaking to this pagan king and, and telling him what the next 600 years of history is going to be and then what the long-term implications of his dream would be for even today and for the end of history. That, that first of all, the gold head represented Babylon, empire in the time of Daniel, that 605 BC, remember we talked about that last week. The chest and the arms of silver represent the Medo-Persian empire that conquered the Babylonian empire in 539 BC. We're gonna come back to that in, in two weeks when 83-year-old Daniel is in the lion's den under King Cyrus, who's the head of the, the Medo-Persian Empire. Folks, this, this is rooted in history. Nebuchadnezzar is still held in high regard in Iraq, which is present-day Babylon, and Cyrus is like George Washington for the people of Iran, the, the, the great apex of their, uh, their history is with the Medo-Persian Empire. And then the abdomen and thighs of bronze represent the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great, which defeated the Medo-Persian Empire in 331 BC. Look it up. Then the iron and iron clay mix of the lower legs and the feet showing a deterioration of a very strong empire, which is exactly what happened to the Roman Empire. 
and it defeated the Greek Empire in 149, the Battle of Corinth. Historical fact. And then this uncut stone, meaning that it doesn't have any origins with humanity. It is outside of humanity. There's something supernatural about this stone, uncut by human hands. And that represents Jesus Christ and his kingdom, which will never end, which was inaugurated in the first century. And, and today, like the vision said, that this, this stone that destroyed all of those kingdoms, the, the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the, the, the Greek kingdom, the, the, the Roman kingdom. And it says in, in Isaiah chapter 40 that all the nations of the earth are like a drop in the bucket in comparison to God. And it says that this kingdom will come, this stone that represents that new kingdom will fill the whole earth, which is what has happened even today. 2.4 billion people around the globe are doing what we are doing, which is worshiping Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It says in 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, it talks about this stone that we read about in Daniel. Just as you came to Christ as a living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Okay, let's cut to two application questions. Matthew, if we'd go down there, and then we'll go into communion. Application question number one out of this scripture is, is my relationship with God healthy and strong? When Daniel, in verse 17 and 18, found out that, that there was a threat of death, they were going to be beheaded, what did he say to his three friends? Let's seek God's mercy. That was his default deal. It was to lean into God during the times of trauma. James 5, 16 says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And a major theme in Daniel chapter 2 is God's sovereignty over history that God raised up and he cast down the Babylonian, the Persian, the Greek, the Roman empires that he can do it again today. America needs to realize that. We are not greater than God. And God's spiritually eternal kingdom continues to grow in human hearts. Remember Jesus talked about that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, but it, it's implanted. And when it is implanted, it grows and becomes the largest of all trees. And what he is saying is the kingdom of God can be planted in your soul. And it can take root. And it can grow. And it can transform your life and take you places you never thought. I never thought I would go to Madagascar. I went to Madagascar because of God. I never thought of that and things he can do and wants to do in your life. And then together, you know, what Rockland can do, and then you just multiply that out, the kingdom of God advances more and more. And so the greater the trauma, the more power that we need from God, and that comes in by intentionally developing a strong relationship with God. Let's be like Daniel, overcoming trauma. How is your relationship with God? Prioritize that. That is the foundation of your life. Question number two is, do I have supportive relationships with faithful, healthy friends? Again, in verses 17 and 18, what did he do when his life was being threatened? We're going to be beheaded. He went to his friends. He knew that they were faithful friends. He knew that he could count on them. He knew that, that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah genuinely, consistently walked with God. And so when trouble knocked on Daniel's door, they stood firm together like a mangrove forest, and that's what God wants for us. 
So I encourage each one of us to be that kind of friend to others. Can other people depend on you? Do they know from observing my life and your life that we walk with God? Not that we're perfect, but that is the, the, the commitment of our heart. Do they know that when we say, I'll pray for you, that that's what we'll do? We'll bring them before the, the throne of God. And as we do that, being the kind of people that help one another through the traumas. Jesus in Matthew 18, 20 says this, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. If two or more agree in my name, it shall be done for them by their Father in heaven. That's what God wants for us. To heal from past trauma. We need God's help, but we need other people. We need one another to walk through the traumas that we're carrying right now. We need God. We need each other. And to prepare, you know, we need to grow our roots tight like that mangrove forest with God and with one another. So when the typhoon hits, we hold together. Thank God over the last year and a half when Emily's little guy, Bodie, got diagnosed with cancer, they could count on you. They could count on their church, on Rockland. Well done, and I, I commend you for that. Let's keep it up. 